You're listening to the Thoroughly Good Classical Music Podcast, a conversation between audience and artists intended to demystify the classical music and opera art form. If you haven't already, please be sure to subscribe to the podcast. It's available via Spotify and Audioboom. That way, you'll hear about the latest podcasts as they become available. Be sure to follow Thoroughly Good on Twitter or on Facebook, and you'll find the blog at thoroughlygood.me. It's amazing what you can learn in the space of 30-odd minutes in a busy club with a world-renowned violinist. In the case of this podcast with Maxim Vengroff, it was learning how to approach the music of Beethoven. If you're interested and a little bit daunted like me, you're going to need a spaceship or at least the ability to imagine one if you've not got sufficient budget. Uh, I also learned how romantic violin concertos differ from, say, classical concertos in the connection between soloist and orchestra on stage and in the recording studio, and also the impact that a life of gratitude can have on the quality of your skin, not to mention that of your playing. Vengeroff celebrates 40 years on the stage this year, an incredible achievement given the man is only 45. And he marks that milestone with both a partnership with streaming service Adagio, there's a 15% discount code when you sign up to Adagio if you use the code, get yourself a notebook. Ready? Maxim Vengeroff. Two words. And he's appearing at the Royal Albert Hall with pianist Martha Argerich and cellist Misha Maisky and musicians from the Royal College of Music on the 12th of June 2020. Every conversation in the Thoroughly Good Classical Music podcast series is a learning opportunity for me and something that I really value and appreciate. This one was a particular treat. Me and Mr Vengeroff met at the Hospital Club in London on Thursday the 23rd of January 2020. And we started our conversation on how he prepares mentally for a performance. Probably if I want to deliver 100% uh, on stage, uh, I need to set up a bar maybe twice or even three times higher. So you get always lower than wow. you expect uh, to, to, get the, to get the results. You know, that's, that's what it is. Because, you know, every time, uh, and there are some, some, sometimes surprises of what you can do on stage but uh, I'm, I'm, I'm never uh, I'm never actually uh, 100% content because my expectations are always higher are you a perfectionist? <laughs> it's not about perfect- perfectionism it's about uh, always growing for me music is a musical journey uh, every day uh, is worth living for even if nothing happened but you know what was the reason why it didn't happen you know you just relax or you just go step back to go in order to get uh, to in front you know it sounds like you live a life of gratitude yes i'm uh, comp- uh, i'm very uh, i consider myself a very lucky and uh, fulfilled person and because has that has music that... Uh, music uh, has been uh, my language of expression and it's uh, it's amazing to be able to speak this to all the practically all the nations without any boundaries i can communicate without you know, like esperanto the language have you have you always felt that way 
has that or has that that approach that sort of gratefulness has that always been a constant since my first concert at the age of five and I believe it or not I'm 40 years on stage <laughs> uh, and you're younger than me and I hate that <laughs> so but I, I remember, no I really hate that yeah you? <laughs> I remember at the age of four uh, years and eight months I started playing and uh, during four months you know I was living in Soviet Union and the teacher uh, when she accepted me in the class on one condition that uh, she saw that I'm, uh, I'm a talented person and she said to my parents that officially she doesn't have any places in her class but exceptionally she would take me uh, because uh, I in her estimation I could do well but I have to practice a lot and so she, she gave me practically impossible tasks you know just to give you example she would uh, every day uh, give me like about five or even more songs to study to the four-year-old child and my mother who knew nothing about the violin she was a, a, a very successful choir conductor uh, had to work with me and to, s somehow to make it work so when I came uh, to my teacher for a lesson she said okay lovely so next next and there was always a rush to excel but it was it was that uh, that time and thanks to that that when I uh, at the age of seven entered this uh, central music school uh, in Moscow which was linked to the Moscow Conservatory in uh, Tchaikovsky Conservatory uh, my um, exam was uh, part of the examination was Mendelssohn Valley Concerto and you were how old seven <laughs> so I uh, just uh, <laughs> and I, and I wow. say I I was uh, I was a very lucky child uh, it wouldn't be possible now unless you live in Asia <laughs> because they start at the age of three. Oh, I see. I yeah, see. so, but so now you wouldn't you wouldn't find you're yeah, saying no. you wouldn't find a uh, a musician at the age of seven playing Mendelssohn unless well you you can but uh, I had to work sometimes uh, uh, seven eight hours a day. So there was a, it was enormous, you know. Before I uh, went to first grade of school, I could practically play violin, thanks to thanks to to that kind of education. I don't say it was right or wrong, but it was my life, it was my fate, and, uh, I, 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 and I'm very grateful to that because uh, before the first concert, which I've done at the age of five, I couldn't understand why I should be doing so much practice. I thought it was all torture. I hated it. I mean, practically, except for Mozart, maybe you wouldn't meet, you would meet hardly any child who wants to work for so long, as I did. So, but I, I had to do it, and uh, uh, I tried to be patient enough. But when, first of all, I went on to this stage and played for audience of 700 people, the concert hall was packed, uh, and I played the recital of half an hour. And I had uh, uh, people who were applauding me, and I didn't want to go for another like 10, 15 minutes off stage. Nobody could get me off this stage. <laughs> I was uh, I'm very honest. I'm very honest. I was <laughs> I was hooked to this uh, idea. Not only the success, but first of all, being fully expressed in front of the audience, Did sharing. You, do you recall? Do you recall getting a sort of a experiencing um, an emotional response to the sound of applause absolutely but and first of all 
I remember uh, when I was playing for this first concert and any other concert that I played in my life, I, well, I would actually forget where I was. And just a funny story to tell you, my second concert was in the, one of the music schools. I started playing with the pianist and in the end of the piece I started turning, turning away from the audience and in the end of the piece I bowed not to the audience but to the pianist. Wow. <laughs> so I, I just... Music would really transport me to a different place. At what point? At what point in your development, then, as a young musician, did you recognise what everybody else had recognised? Because you've described experiences to me that were very special to you. But at what point did you realise actually this is not the norm? I'm I'm experiencing something different from other people. Well, already after the first concert. Uh, I firmly decided I was going to become a musician. Uh, I didn't know whether I was going to be always a violinist because my initial dream was to become a conductor. And um, the story is that my mother was a choir conductor. Uh, she formed her a school that was linked to the orphanage and she was leading a successful uh, children's choir. She had 500 kids. I sang very often in that choir. My father worked as the oboist in the Philharmonic Orchestra, so I was born as a son of the orchestra. And practically my, my whole environment was music. But uh, great examples was uh, my mother, because she was conducting and I wanted to conduct. Uh, and I remember coming to the uh, uh, music director of uh, Novosibirsk Philharmonic Orchestra, legendary Arnold Katz. Uh, I came to him and said, "I would like to become just like yourself." I said, "Well, don't, don't become conductor. Better replace your dad, and I can fire him." <laughs> <laughs> then, uh, but then I had to choose uh, some instrument uh, to start with, and so it was violin. Definitely not oboe, because nobody could see me. Yeah. No, actually, uh, thinking about it, I don't know that I could see you playing the oboe. No. <laughs> really, I don't think you're an oboeist. I know you're a clarinetist, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. And I, I know see so you as a, clarinet, as a clarinetist or an oboeist. I know something about reeds. My father would go crazy over a bad reed. Yeah, well, oboists are like that, aren't they? They spend a lot of time picking over reeds, making But you know what's a, oh. what is envious? Uh, uh, I was always envious of my dad, because when there was a, whenever he made a good read, he said, oh, now I'll play a good concert. <laughs> right. And so it depended on that. I wish I, I could say... Modest. Yeah. <laughs> Tell me about, uh, so I listened to the, to the Brook that you recorded in 93, and I think oh God, I, uh, partly, uh, <laughs> but I think but you've partly answered my question. When I hear that, I hear a very full sound, uh, a very mature sound, rounded, strong, um, 
and it, and it sort of amazes me that you were able to conjure that up at 17. I mean, you were 17 or 18 when you recorded that. Uh, Is that right? 18, yes. Um, do you do you first of all do you listen back to record? Um, obviously, you listen back to recording. But would you go back through your archive of recordings? And if you do, do you go back to something like 1993 in the Brook and go, oh, I did that? Or do you hear yourself the same then as you are now? Absolutely not, uh, because I'm I'm different. My style as a violinist has changed. Uh, also due to experiences that I had to go through my life, uh, musical experiences. Uh, after this recordings uh, uh, of recording Bruchan Mendelssohn, I, uh, I studied Baroque uh, period instrument playing with um, uh, Trevor Pinnock. I was really ex- inspired and for two years uh, we were together on tours and he taught me a lot about that. Then I t- took up a viola, uh, then I had to, uh, become a teacher when I was 26 uh, years of age in uh, Saarbrücken High School of Music in Germany. Uh, had my full class and I had to already verbally express what I feel for the music and I had to... Uh, oh, okay. mm, then so you had to verbally articulate it to exactly, people. Exactly. So, right, okay. And when you do that, you actually, y- you learn even more when you actually yourself a performer. And that's fascinating. That's why uh, sharing music in different ways is so important for me. It ful- uh, fulfills my initial um, sort of game playing the violin. Because playing violin, violin is my mother tongue. Uh, I, I, I will always be co- you know, playing that, continuing that. But there are other instruments that I equally feel uh, are necessary to... Uh, to fulfill my spectrum and vision and uh, always to broaden my horizons in music, such as conducting, uh, which I started uh, doing um, uh, at the age of 26 and then moved into the bigger repertoire when I was about in my early 30s. Told me uh, why your why your sound changed or why your playing changed, but you haven't told me how it's changed. Well, as in what 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 I might tell- I hear that is different from yes. the '93 recording? Uh, I think my uh, vibrato uh, in Bruch was very expressive, uh, but I think to my ear today. Uh, I mean, I don't criticize it. It's it's very fine recording. I really enjoy, have fun listening to it. But today I would have done things uh, differently because I connect and understand, comprehend the texture of the orchestra much better than I understood then. For me, at that time, uh, there was an orchestra, 
which obviously I took great interest in collaborating with. Uh, and naturally, instinctively, I would be connecting with them, with them because um, from my birth, I think I had good, good ear to li- an attentive ear, a s- sensitive nature to other people that I was playing with. But when you once you con- become conductor, you understand that the, all the greatest concertos were written in the, in this way. That uh, just take an example of Brahms, uh, Beethoven, Sibelius, to you know, just to start with, they're written as symphonies with integrated solo violin in there. So the orchestra starts, and violin continues, and it depends really who is standing in front of you, which uh, orchestra and the conductor, and the conductor a lot of times suggests, and the solo uh, soloist uh, has to continue these lines. And if you are working independently of the orchestra, then um, according to the score, you're actually not playing Brahms' Violin Concerto. You are expressing yourself. Rather than you have to express uh, uh, the ideas of the composer. Uh, I understood that for the first time. The the, the eye-opener was, uh, uh, for me, uh, my wonderful... Uh, legendary mentor Sislav Rostropovich who was uh, not only a unique cellist but was a was fantastic pianist and a conductor he showed me things in the score and he opened my eyes how to collaborate with orchestras how to look for the uh, inner voices, how to connect to co- uh, basically chamber music then I played also a lot of chamber music and I understood how uh, one uh, communicates with with another. Also, is that, is that why you started? So, when I look at the history of, of recordings that you've made, is that why you went uh, after the Brooklyn of Mendelssohn, which I, I hear as sort of lighter works? Is that why you went to Sibelius and Prokofiev because because they are more symphonic? Mm. Are they easier? Is that is it an easier performance? Uh, when I. Um, uh, when I won a Carl Flash competition, um, I was noticed by a few people and indeed was um, uh, was asked by Teldec Classics to sign a long-term contract with them to record uh, some uh, some works for them, some CDs. Uh, they asked me, could you do one uh, recital program consists of virtuoso works and another one... Uh, consists uh, of Paganini concerto and some also some virtuoso works with Israel Philharmonic. I said, wonderful, thank you very much, Israel Philharmonic, Zubin Meta, that's amazing, Paganini, Waxman and Sinsan species. I accept that wholeheartedly. But to record another virtuoso work album, I'm sorry, I have to politely decline. You know, Long story short, my stubbornness uh, in that uh, went to the head of director of uh, Teldec who couldn't understand why 16-year-old boy would be so stubborn, demanding at his inexperienced age to record Brahms, Beethoven and Mendelssohn sonatas instead of Chrysler album. I said, I... I'm so sorry, but I would love to become a good musician. Not only 
to master my crafts playing violin, but also uh, I need to learn the art to play uh, sonatas and chamber music. By miracle, these people gave me a chance, and I'm forever grateful to them. I put it to you that given that you were being asked that 11 years after you started to learn the violin, that if a 16-year-old says, no, I'm not doing that, then they didn't really have very much choice, because that's quite a bold... You know, you clearly knew what you wanted to do and what you didn't want to do, and, I mean, you know, when you're, when you're confronted with that self-belief... You wouldn't argue with it, would you? Do you see what I mean? Yes, absolutely. I mean, it seems incredible that 11 years after you started um, started to learn the violin, you were saying, no, I'm not doing that yet because I need to develop. That, there's a certain amount of self-knowledge there. Yes, and, uh, and what is even more amazing that uh, um, the, uh, the administration uh, of, the, of Teldec has given me a chance to, to do that and to, to develop in my own uh, way the, uh, and... I, I clearly had um, my own path and vision. So I came to the uh, recording studios to record uh, these sonatas by Brahms, number two, and Be- Beethoven's Spring, and, and Mendelssohn, F major sonata. And I remember my eternal struggle. <laughs> I will never forget how difficult it was because uh, I would do a couple of takes, would listen to myself, and would be horrified how uh, the, the, the recording sounds too sterile. There is no phrasing. There is no communication with the pianist. There are so many things that I needed to change. And I was uh, also helped and guided by recording producer who helped me. And we would do takes after take. Uh, trying to, you know, I was trying to understand the texture. Uh, and finally, finally, when we edited uh, it was uh, good. It was uh, okay. <laughs> it was. It was good. <laughs> it was. It was okay. Yes. Right. It was. A, it was a step in my life, uh, and then I moved on to a different level, and so I developed from recording to recording, and I wanted to bring that quality uh, that I produced in the recording sessions. I'm not not talking only about the um, technical uh, level, but also obtained knowledge of musicality I wanted to bring that on stage as a live performance and then from live experience I wanted to bring back the live aspect to the studio recording and so one fed another and that's how I always uh, thought that uh, live performances and the studio recordings always brought me to the level where I wanted to to be I want to ask you about um the Beethoven Violin Concerto. I want to tell you how I listened to the Beethoven Violin Concerto, uh, and then I want you to try and persuade me uh, to think of it perhaps in a different way.
I, I have to tell you that I feel quite daunted about any work by Beethoven apart from the symphonies. I listen to all of the symphonies and I marvel at the rate of development, how each symphony is different from the one that went before. I, I get the symphonies. Most other Beethoven I approach with a certain amount of fear. I mean, I know that I will enjoy it on some level, but, but I, I, I'm trepidatious. When I hear the violin concerto, I hear something almost like a profound statement uh, which is quite intimidating and I wonder whether whether you understand what I mean and whether you can persuade me to think of it in another way I totally agree with you that Beethoven violin concerto let's put it else is something else <laughs> it's uh, it's something of an, an enormous beauty of uh, unreal it doesn't belong to that uh, uh, planet Earth, so to say, it has its parts that it goes totally, you know, out of these spheres, and goes to a different planet where only Beethoven belongs to, and you need to be like a space ship. Uh, you need that uh, spiritual ability, if you want, or you need to get one to get to that planet, just to get a taste of that just to get a glimpse of it to bring at least some of it because the music the way it was written uh, it's quite fascinating this uh, work actually stands out of uh, works by Beethoven during, uh, during that period as well this just speaking of the first movement the way he starts uh, from the timpani the four beats of the timpani uh, this boom boom it's like you know for it's like heartbeat or the time you call it whatever that you cannot stop and then that freedom expression of human search human mind and uh, human soul that tries to find itself in this universe and that conflict of the first moment is the tragedy of Beethoven during that time when he was battling through his personal problem with his health um, and his uh, deafness. He was just diagnosed uh, with that. And he had to transform his weakness into his strength. Finally, later in the Third Symphony, Eroica, he has overcome that and became on the other side of the tunnel as a winner, as somebody who is a superhuman. But uh, the violin concerto and uh, his second symphony is still is a transformation from the young, brilliant virtuoso Beethoven, who was dazzling, who was brilliant, as a uh, charming and appealing to the to the whole Europe, to this transformation to a man with a lot of wisdom and who would become the best musician of his uh, generation.
did you have to transform yourself before you approached it? Because you recorded the Beethoven in 2005. So I'm wondering whether you approached it. Were you? Was there a point in your life where it was daunting, and then it became no, and it was no longer daunting? What What did you have to change in order first, to approach it? First of all, what was obvious to me that the tempo allegro, ma non troppo, is all relative. And what I was really uh, guided by is this. Uh, Four beats, boom, 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 and this enormous beauty that I didn't want to waste. I didn't want it to end, and that's why immediately I had to take a slower tempo. When I arrived to Rostropovich's and played it with the piano, he said, "Maxim, it's all too fast." <laughs> Obviously, I was on the way, but to play slower. It's thousand times more difficult than to play it in the usual conventional tempo because you need to obtain different technique. Uh, the right hand has to be incredibly steady. I had to improve my technique actually, and uh, it I had to improve quite uh, super, I would say, uh, superhuman abilities in, in my violin playing playing so many notes on one bow without changing it. It's, you know, like playing a wind, wind instrument without breathing, in a way. It strikes me as a marathon of a concerto. Yes, absolutely. Oh, and, okay. Yeah, and especially the first and second movement, because the third movement is, is a, so to say, is a, is a dance, you, you call it, you know, maybe even rustic, rustic dance is quite conventional. It's beautiful, it has its uh, uh, dramatic and uh, uh, amazing moments, but the first and second moment is really, do not belong, some of this music, do not belong to this uh, planet Earth. Uh, especially in the first movement, I would say also, uh, this G minor middle section, it, it stands so out of the way, out of Beethoven's way even. It's a true discovery, it's a miracle. Uh, and the way he then finds his way out of labyrinth and leads to, an, to the tutti that goes to the, finally to the recap, only only another level, completely another level of strength, as a different personality. It's a it's a real uh, struggle, this concerto. Who who did you first hear play it? Uh, Menuhin was uh, and Furtwängler was uh, one of the great examples for me. Also Anna Sophie Muta and Karayan. Uh, but then I sort of I stopped listening to everyone else and only followed my. My own instinct. I do enjoy now uh, also uh, on rare occasions to play it and conduct it uh, at the same time. Usually, wow. you, <laughs> wow. usually, usually I don't like doing that because uh, um, I like to be when I'm playing. I want to be only focused on my myself and then to also to interact with a great conductor. You need a fantastic partner in this piece. And if I have one like this, this is uh, this is a total win-win uh, because this concerto again, it's not written for violin with the orchestra accompaniment. I always have to remind this to my students, although it's understood 
but uh, actually you have to see it from the point of the orchestra. It is a symphony with a violin, a violin obligato, so to say. What do you think um, in this Beethoven year newcomers to Beethoven need to understand about the man? Beethoven was always ahead of its time. Not only in music, but in his philosophy, in his morals, in his ideals, in humanity. When we listen to Beethoven with the great right performance, it would reflect, the music would reflect our souls and vice versa. We would always be one way or another be so connected uh, to, to him and he is in a way guiding us all the time and he, he will never become sort of you know last two centuries composer God forbid outdated never he will be, always be contemporary and there are so many uh, followers after Beethoven you know just, just to name only maybe one composer who became, in, at least in spirit, as a follower of uh, uh, Beethoven, is Shostakovich, mm. for its strength, mm. for its structure, for its boldness to express uh, what's, uh, what is uh, in the what reflects of the time. Uh, as a as a kid growing up in Soviet in the Soviet Union, what did Shostakovich represent to you as a composer? You know, I grew up in uh, Novosibirsk, then uh, I went to Moscow to study at the age of seven. Then I went back to Novosibirsk at the age of uh, ten. But then, uh, two years later, uh, I came uh, with Professor Braun to study in Lübeck in Germany. So my life in Soviet Russia uh, was up until age of twelve. I do not recall in my, at least at my uh, cognitive, you know, thinking, um, uh, a, lo a lot of uh, events, of the uh, deep events like uh, uh, political events or anything like that. What I remember that uh, uh, the, the responsibilities I had to take uh, being... Uh, even five, six, seven-year-old were by far greater than I could e even handle because the, it was burden because you had to be so good because you're playing for Soviet Union <laughs> and yeah, it, it was a society I suppose it's that that's, that's prompting the question because I, obviously I listen to something like Elgar and I am transported to a world that I didn't live in I have absolutely no experience of but it is a construct uh, rooted in a certain amount of nostalgia, yes. and and uh, and it has a national identity to it. Yeah. Or the, so I'm wondering whether whether his his music has a similar effect, and if it does, what it is. But today, uh, Shostakovich uh, has a very special place in my heart, and I must say, I'm so grateful to Rostropovich for introducing the real Shostakovich to me. Um, on the last month of uh, Rostropovich's life, I visited him in the hospital and uh, we spent an uh, uh, amazing afternoon together, after which he said to me, Maxim, 
I had to teach you a lot of things in chamber music, collaborating with orchestras, uh, uh, teaching you on Beethoven, Tchaikovsky, Prokofiev, but I never had to tell you how to play Shostakovich. You just knew. And it's true, somehow Shostakovich was always my own composer that I always owned. As if, you know, if I was a composer, I would write music like this, you know. Same uh, connection I feel uh, also with Mozart. And, you know, so they are so uh, different, Mozart and Shostakovich. But I feel that this is the music where I don't have to act. I'm myself in Mozart and in Shostakovich. Uh, what, what advice would you give your 17-year-old self today? Just go on as you do. I was incredibly lucky during uh, my upbringing to meet the right people at the right time. Forever grateful to, to the universe that it happened. And my, my dreams have been fulfilled and are still fulfilling because I, uh, when, whenever I wanted to have a, a, a great teacher, it just appeared in front of me by miracle. When I needed um, to study, to explore in depth the conducting repertoire, I, uh, I acquainted myself with uh, Maestro Simonov, uh, uh, Yuri Simonov, who was for 16 years uh, chief of uh, Bolshoi Opera in uh, Moscow and who is uh, known to, to the UK for his collaboration with Royal Phil. Uh, with him I studied for seven years conducting, exploring the repertoire, of uh, all the uh, greatest symphonies, Brahms, Beethoven, Tchaikovsky, Bruckner, uh, Mahler. And that experience fits my violin playing. Every time I conduct something, uh, I somehow, you know, I get new colors into my uh, violin uh, language. Uh, this is the last question. Uh, imagine that you're going to a party and people don't know who you are. I mean, I know that would seem a bit weird, but just imagine that that's what you're doing. What three things would you tell uh, someone that you're meeting for the first time to introduce yourself other than your name? Well, that's a hard one. I know. <laughs> <laughs> that's the point. <laughs> yeah, you're not going to wriggle out of it. What three things would you, would you tell somebody to introduce yourself? Uh... I'm a student, <laughs> and I'm also a teacher. Uh, okay, so that's and I, two. <laughs> this, uh, and it was how that two goes together. I said, very simple, because when you teach, you learn. <laughs> I think you've, you've, you've battered that question. You, you've dealt with that question very well. Thank you very much. <laughs> I'm very happy that uh, now, uh, finally, I found a, a unique 
digital platform where I can put all my rec records I've recorded in the last uh, uh, few years. One of the first releases is going to be on Aidaggio, uh, one of my most dearest concerto that I've recorded throughout of my life is uh, Tchaikovsky Violin Concertos, which is going to be released for the third time. But uh, I've As in a different recording. Yes. Okay. <laughs> yes. I, I nearly asked you earlier on why <clears throat> would you ever tackle a concerto more than once? Clearly, you have. Yeah. So, well, I, for the first time, I recorded Tchaikovsky when I was 22 uh, with Claudio Abado at Berlin Philharmonic. Then the second time, I uh, recorded on Decca with Rostropovich and done at Philharmonic. Now, after having uh, conducted uh, uh, you know, a few of the symphonies by Tchaikovsky and it's, uh, his uh, Onegin, uh, I felt that I, I have the need to record it again. I'm burning <laughs> that I can integrate all, all the symphonies and the operatic aspect, vocal aspect to, the, uh, to this recording. And um, th this collaboration uh, with uh, uh, Radio France Orchestra and Miwa Chung is absolutely extraordinary. They're fantastic instrument and they complement so much to this recording. Together with the French repertoire, uh, Saint-Saëns pieces, Introduction and Capriciosa, uh, Havanese and uh, Ravel Tsigan. And more uh, things to come on uh, Aidaggio. Uh, this is a wonderful platform uh, for everybody, very accessible, very easy to navigate and uh, I enjoyed uh, the pioneering of the in the concept of this uh, platform which gives artists uh, actually freedom to decide their vision and to lead uh, uh, and apparently you can get even Fifty? Yeah, yes, yeah. yeah. By the code, you come, you code. come with a you come with a, a discount code. Discount code yeah. by <laughs> typing my name. Yeah, yeah. yeah, I will make a point of flagging that. That's, that's your your top value. You've been listening to the Thoroughly Good Classical Music Podcast, available on Spotify, iTunes and Audio Boom. To get in touch, tweet at Thoroughly Good, post a message on the Thoroughly Good Facebook page or email john.jacob at thoroughlygood.me.